Hello, and welcome to this Solace Church podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We pray that God speaks to you today through this message. For more sermon content and information, visit solacechurch.com. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, Luke writes, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, that's the gospel of Luke, until, uh, until the day, excuse me, in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So this is Luke referring to his former work, uh, the events that occurred in that, what Jesus began to both do and teach until he was taken up after he, of course, for those 40 days, accomplished these things that we see here. Um, it goes on to tell us this. It says, in being assembled together with them, Jesus with the disciples, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water. But here's what he tells his disciples. We, we read this last week. Just prior to his ascension, he says, go wait, because as John truly baptized with water, so you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days From now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? We know the disciples still had a very limited understanding of the kingdom, a a sort of a limited understanding of God's priorities and his work in the world. And so they were focused very nationalistically. And Jesus wanted them to be focused more universally and globally. So as they asked this question, he says to them, It's not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in not just Israel, but notice in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the end of the earth. Broadening your understanding of the kingdom of God. It's not limited to one specific place and time. But by the power of the Spirit, you are going to be agents, he says to his disciples, to carry the the, the kingdom of God, the message of God, even to Boca Raton, Florida, in 2020. doesn't literally say that, but that's what we can gather from that, right? Now, it tells us this, that when he had spoken these things, while they watched, Jesus was taken up and a cloud received uh, received him out of their sight. We looked at this last week, the ascension. It says, and while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, uh, who also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. So this is where this leaves off. Uh, Jesus gives them this command. Go wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm ascending, but the Spirit is coming. Jesus ascends. The disciples are staring. Two angels show up and say, what are you, what are, what are you gazing at? Go, you've got, you've got the spirit to wait for. And, and that's what uh, the, the narrative continues with. If you go to Acts now chapter 2, let's go to Acts chapter 2, we see the story continue. This is 10 days after that ascension moment. 10 days later, we know the disciples have been in one accord Even after the ascension, they go back and they're praying together. They're united together. Now, 10 days later, they are right where Jesus told them to be in Jerusalem, waiting for this promise of the Holy Spirit. 
And it says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And notice this, and suddenly, here's the disciples in this room praying, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. This is remarkable. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. So as that is happening, this mighty rushing wind, this filling of the Holy Spirit, this outpouring of the Spirit that Jesus promised, they each begin to supernaturally speak in divided other tongues, foreign tongues. And in that, at that time, there were devout men from every nation there in Jerusalem. And when the sound occurred, verse 6 says that the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. They were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? You know, they didn't have Rosetta Stone back then. It wasn't like convincing. Like, how are these guys actually speaking? Where did they learn our language? Are these not Galileans? Notice this. And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Now, as you continue here, it says that they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others mocking, saying they're full of new wine. They're just drunk. I, mean, I guess if you drink enough wine, you can speak foreign languages. I don't know, maybe. But uh, in this case, what, what a unique conclusion to come to. Uh, they were, were unable to make sense of the supernatural that was before them. But this was the work of the Holy Spirit. And as we would expect, out of the whole group, Peter, the bold disciple of Jesus and leader of the early church, it tells us that he stands up. Now, I'm not going to read the next 40 verses, but chapter 2 is where Peter stands up and he begins to give incredible context to what these men are seeing. And he begins to describe the promise of the Holy Spirit that Jesus has poured out upon his church. And he, through that, begins to describe who Jesus is. At this time, these men generally know that Jesus, who, this man Jesus, who was just crucified. And apparently, some of his followers believe he's still alive. And Peter is beginning to unpack this and describe this Jesus. And here's where he lands. And I want you to see what happens. Peter's filled with the Holy Spirit. And Peter ends his sermon by saying, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know. I love that statement. Let them know. Let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and and Christ. He's proclaiming Jesus to them. By the power of the Spirit, he's preaching the gospel to them. It says, now when they had heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the disciples, men and brethren, what shall we do? Uh, this is the work of the Spirit even here. Uh, we, we don't have the ability to cut to people's hearts. We do have the ability to proclaim Christ. But as we proclaim Jesus, as we proclaim who he is and what he's done as the Savior of the world, this is what God does. People are cut to their hearts. There's a conviction that the Holy Spirit produces. And they're led to say, what do we do? In light of this, what do we do? And notice uh, the response. Peter says to them, repent. Turn towards the Lord. 
Turn and, and put your faith and trust in the Lord. Turn away from yourself and your sin and your life and turn to Jesus and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins or the forgiveness of sins. And you shall, you also shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as our Lord God would call. And with many other words, verse 40 says, it says, Peter testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. That, that is still the message of the gospel, isn't it? It's not behave, right? That's what we tend to make it. Be obedient. Be this. Be that. It's be saved. That's what we preach. We need to be saved. You need to be saved. Be saved. And you can be through Jesus. That's what Peter is proclaiming to them. Now notice what happens as he proclaims this. It says, then that day those who gladly received his word were baptized. Notice how many. In that day, 3,000 souls were added to them. Wow. Talk about a turn of events. Uh, barely a month ago, the disciples were cowering in fear. And now they're empowered with the Spirit, proclaiming the risen Jesus who's ascended to the right hand of God, filled with His Spirit, and now 3,000 people are trusting in Christ for salvation. This is incredible. Now notice what it goes on to say. It says, you have, so now this, you have the first church here. The church is, is born here on Pentecost. It's birthed into existence by the Spirit. And you have about 3,120 people in the first church, a mega church, just like that, right? And it tells us that this church, it says there, they continued, those that were saved, they continued steadfastly. I, thought that, I think this is interesting that you notice this, that to be saved meant that you are part of now the church. It wasn't just this individual thing like, oh, I prayed some prayers. Being saved in, in, in the, the understanding of Scripture means that you are now added to and a part of and living a part of the family of God. And we see that happen now. They continued. Here's what they do. They continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers, and then fear came upon every soul. That's a good thing. It's a healthy fear. And many, it's an awe of the awe of God. And many signs and wonders were done through the apostles. Now, all who believed were together. I could preach a whole sermon on that. And had all things in common. And they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily, that's the key word, it's used twice now, okay? First it says they continued st steadfastly, but now they're continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. It says they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. And here's where our scripture reading ends here. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Now, I just want to say a prayer real quick, and then we'll draw some application from this. Lord, now as we think about what this text means to us, I pray that you would fill me with your spirit, just as you did Peter, just as you did your first church. Would you do it now? Would you fill us all with your spirit that we could may continue in what you have to say to us, God, that we might be able to hear what you have to say. I invite you, God, to speak through me. Holy Spirit, please speak. We give you the space to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as I said, uh, not just a remarkable turn of events, but what an incredible development in the story of Jesus. 
Uh, remember, that's the big idea of what we're exploring here, the story of Jesus. Our series is Jesus Continued. And here, even after the ascension of Jesus, we clearly see that the story of Jesus is continuing. But here's a good question. The question would be, how? How does, and in what we just read, how is the story of Jesus continuing if Jesus is now at the right hand of God? And the answer, as we see there in the text, is by the Spirit through the church, through the followers of of Jesus. We understand the Holy Spirit, as we see there in the passage, is not some impersonal force, but he is the third person of the triune Godhead. He is God himself advancing the kingdom of God in the world. The Holy Spirit is the person of God that Jesus pours out on the church to continue the Jesus story through the church. The church is not a social club. We see that there. The church is not just some social niche and community of people. The church is not a building. The church is not an, even a 501c3 nonprofit organization. The church is a community, a historic and global community of people who have been rescued and redeemed by Jesus and exist now to continue the Jesus story. It's why I've, I've entitled this sermon again, The Sequel. The Sequel. Um, the definition of a sequel is this, as you may know. It's a published broadcast or a published broadcast or recorded work that continues the story or develops the theme of an earlier one. What we've done for four months is we've, we've watched the, the story of Jesus unfold, the theme of the life and the ministry of Jesus. And that's exactly what you have here in the book of Acts. You have that theme developed through the sequel of the church. In fact, as I said earlier, the book of Acts is this sequel to this two-part series. The first, Luke, being where Jesus begins all that he does. In fact, that's if you look there again at the first verse, Luke says, the former account I may of Othiophilus of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. It's even implied there in the first verse. The first account I gave you Luke, uh, Luke is writing to Theophilus, and he says, the first gospel I wrote, the gospel of Luke, was all that Jesus began to do, all that he began. In other words, this volume is what he continues to do. It's a sequel. It's a part two. Now, sequels are tricky. There's a tension there, right? There's something about sequels that are tough, because on one hand, with any film, when you've seen a good movie, like I'm talking a good film, there's this part of you that's content with what you've seen, but because it was so good, there's this desire for more, right? Like I hope, there's a couple movies I've seen even in quarantine recently that I'm like, I hope there's a part two. But then part of me is like, or do I? Because we've all had our favorite movie ruined by a sequel, We've all had a, a sequel do nothing but just give nods to the first film and completely botch it. There's a sense in which sequels can be kind of tricky. There's this idea that it's like it's very rare for a sequel to be not just good in the sense of better than the first film, but good at all. And some of you guys in our Two Minute Mingle there were listing some of your favorites. But I want us to think about the church in a completely different light with what we might think about with the story being continued. You see, when Jesus saw his departure, one of the first things he said to his disciples in John 14 is he said, listen, greater things are going to happen here. The first volume was great. 
But I'm going to ascend to my Father. I'm going to fill you with my Spirit. And the sequel, it's, it's, it's not going to be what, we're, what you're used to. It's not going to be a downturn in the story, but it's going to be the same Jesus. It, that's, that's the big idea. It's the same story. Even greater things happening now because the church is going to take what Jesus did to the ends of the earth. It, it's, as we said, it's a sequel, and that's what we have in the book of Acts. The book of Acts tells the story of this Jesus sequel uh, through the church, how Jesus continues to move by his spirit through the church. And uh, though it ends in chapter 28, the book of Acts continues to the day, this day. We're actually, pretty cool to think about, we are right now, as followers of Jesus, we are living in the continued sequel to the Jesus story. We are carrying that story forward. And, and like any good sequel, like any good movie, let's kind of think of it this way, it has a main character. Let's start there. As we see even here in Acts, uh, the main character is still Jesus. When Peter gets up, he doesn't preach himself, he preaches Jesus. Jesus is the lead actor, okay? Jesus gets the Oscar, okay? He's the star. He's, he's the one that it's all about. In fact, that's our passion as a church even still today. Our, our heart as Soulless Church is to make sure that Jesus is always the main character of the story, that he's the one front and center, that it's all about him. We see that even in the text we just read, that Jesus in this sequel is still the main character. Uh, but there's also a supporting cast. It's cool to think of it that way, and that's the church, I guess we're more like extras. I don't know. I like to think we're a supporting cast, but we're probably more like extras. But we also get to be a part of the story, and we follow the directions of the director, which is the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit is the one saying, cut, go, stop. No, say it this way. The Holy Spirit, as we see there, is poured out on the church to continue this. Now, at the end of the day, I'm saying a lot of the same thing ultimately to say this is the plot. The plot of this story is, again, that Jesus continues to advance the kingdom of God in this world through his church by the Spirit. And I want to say this again. It's the same Jesus. It's Hebrews 13.8. Uh, excuse me, wrong reference. Hebrews 13.8, where, where Paul writes, the author of Hebrew writes, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Today is the, is the most important part there. Certainly yesterday. I think we've looked at who Jesus is in the days behind us. That was our focus in John. Uh, next week, we're going to look at Jesus forever and what his, his second coming is going to mean. But think about this for a second. Jesus is the same today, right now. He is continuing to be and do all that he did and was and said, even in his earthly ministry. And again, he does it by his spirit through the church. The church in Ephesians 1, after Jesus is ascended, is actually called the very body of Jesus. In Ephesians 1, Paul says that when Jesus ascended to the right hand of God, God put all things under Jesus' feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. And then notice this, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Isn't that interesting to think about? Like Jesus has ascended, but his body is still here. And that was the whole point there of Pentecost, the Spirit of God coming upon the followers of Jesus to literally continue to be Jesus in the world. Um, what, what an incredible thought. Now, I want to really answer, as we, we kind of shift now, I want to answer these uh, with uh, the, uh, one singular question with three ideas. Uh, the singular question is how, or, or what is Jesus continuing to do? 
When we say that the story of Jesus continues, in this text we have three specific thing that he, things that he continues to do. The first thing that we see in this passage as the Spirit of God falls upon the early church is we see that Jesus continues to find. Jesus continues to find. Uh, and it's listed right there for us after Peter preaches this sermon. You have 3,000 souls added to the church. And this is classic Jesus. Jesus finding and rescuing and saving the lost. It's interesting to think about this. Uh, the scripture tells us, Jesus himself said in Luke chapter 19, he said, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. We know that this was the very heart of Jesus' mission, to seek after that which was lost. And we notice, too, that what Jesus seeks, he also finds. And that's the story of Jesus with his disciples. And in fact, that's the exact phrasing that's used when Jesus encounters, for example, Philip. In, in John chapter 1, the Bible says that Jesus found Philip. This is true of all of our lives, all of us who have come to faith in Jesus, all of us who, like these 3,000, have been saved by Jesus. It's really important to keep this in the forefront of our minds, okay? We, as those who are followers of Jesus, did not find Jesus. Jesus found us. We don't find God like he's lost somewhere. And he's like, ah, oh, you found me. Ah, oh, darn it. No, we're the lost ones. We're the ones in need of the Lord. We're the ones in need of being found. The good news is that Jesus seeks. Now, um, and the, obviously the ultimate good news here is that he continues to find. And so we are each representations of that. Just like these 3,000 people that got saved are each 3,000 individual lives that were rescued by Jesus, still today we get to be numbered with these 3,000 because Jesus continues to find the lost. I, I want to talk about that a little bit. The first thing I want us to think about in light of that is where Jesus finds us. When we talk about this, when we say that Jesus continues to find the lost, where does he find them? Well, he finds them in need. He finds them, as, as I just referenced, he finds them lost. He comes to seek and to save that which is lost. He finds us not having it together, he doesn't find us with some ability to get ourselves out of our situation, but we must remember this is where we are when Jesus finds us. Jesus finds us without him, without hope, and in a broken state. But the most important thing about this is as he finds us in that place, notice how he seeks us. He seeks us in love. He seeks us to rescue. He seeks us to redeem it's such an interesting contrast here with Jesus, uh, here in Luke 19, seeking to save that which is lost, and Adam in the Garden of Eden. If you think of that sort of game of hide and seek and find and seek, Adam has sinned, much like we all have, and because he is guilty in his sin, his natural tendency is to hide and even try to cover over his own sin with, with fig leaves, right? Go figure. <laughs> All right, good one. And um, Adam is doing everything he can to deal with the shame of his sin. He's hiding from God, so, so much so that God knows where Adam's hiding, but he wants Adam to know that he's hiding. And so God says, Adam, where are you? 
Where are you? Now this is an interesting idea here. This is God seeking Adam in his guilt. And we even see that God will go on to, in in the story of Genesis, God goes on to cover Adam's sin and saying, hey, don't try to cover it on your own. Let me cover you in a sacrifice, in a blood sacrifice. Uh, But think of now that translation to the ministry of Jesus. It's the same thing. We, we tend to want to hide in our brokenness, to hide in our sin. But here's how Jesus seeks us. He seeks us with love. He seeks us to cover us in his grace. He seeks us to give us what our shame never can, what our hiding never can. And Jesus continues to do that. That's what we see here. Even though he's ascended to the right hand of God, 3,000 people are being saved Not even though, but I would say because of, because the Holy Spirit has been poured out and people are continuing to be be found by Jesus. Um, I would ask you, what is that story for you? What is your testimony? Think about that. How did Jesus find you? What has he done in your life in seeking you in his love. And is that something you're continuing to be familiar with? I, I've, I've been finding lately the importance of being reminded of how the Lord not just had found me, but I would say continues to find me in need of him, but certainly when he found me and saved me, when he found me in my sin, when he found me in my rebellion. And there's a joy that's, that's produced in that when I see Jesus, when I'm reminded of who Jesus is as my Savior. And there's a testimony there. In fact, Revelation describes that testimony as even a defense in spiritual warfare. In Revelation uh, chapter 12, it says that they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. It's talking about the saints of God overcoming the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. It's the word of our testimony, which, which is our witness of the blood, what the blood of Jesus, what the sacrifice of Jesus has done for us. That's our victory. That's how we overcome, not by what we have done, but how God has found us and how he's rescued us. So Jesus continues today through the church by the Spirit to find. Secondly, another thing we see here in this text is that Jesus continues to form So certainly one of the things that Jesus did when he was on earth was he sought to seek and save that which was lost. He he sought to find, and he still does that today. Jesus still finds people. He still rescues people. But we know that it was so much more than that. Jesus didn't just find Philip and go, oh, cool, I found you. But Jesus found Philip for a purpose. The purpose was to form the character and develop Uh, the disciple that he had in Philip. And the same is true of all the disciples. As Jesus looked at Peter, he said, you are Simon, you shall be Cephas. Jesus' vision for for every person he finds is formation. It's to develop that individual into more of the image of of Christ. We know that's the call. Romans 8 says that those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of of Jesus. And we see that with the disciples. We see a three-year process of Jesus seeking to form the disciples, form their character, form their perspective, form their thinking through teaching and practice. And then we see it still here in the church. Jesus is continuing to form disciples 
after they're saved here, 3,000 of them, it tells us that they continued steadfastly in some things. We see see spiritual formation playing out. And remember, this is what Jesus told the disciples to be about. Uh, In Matthew 28, as he's commissioning them, he's saying, now you go and help people experience spiritual formation. Just as you have been uh, transformed, just as I have discipled you and I'm always going to be. Discipleship is not like um, a, a finish line that you cross when you go through a program or you learn a certain verse of the Bible. Discipleship is a lifelong experience of following Jesus, being with him, learning from him, and by his spirit becoming like him. And as we're doing that, we're called to, to lead as we follow. And as we're being formed, we're called to help others be formed into the image of Jesus. The way that, that Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 11 is he says, imitate me, follow me as I follow Christ. And that's what he's saying to imitate, by the way. He's not saying imitate my every move. If you're a parent, you know that doesn't work out. Your, there's, there's times where your kids are like, don't imitate that, okay? Where'd you learn that? Me? Oh, gosh, okay? Uh, the idea of imitate me is imitate who I'm following. Imitate that I'm following. Don't imitate the fact that, you know, it's not this idea that I have it all together, do everything I do, but follow who I'm following. And that's who we see, what we see happening here in Acts. As we read there, the early church, there's 3,000 people saved, and immediately it's like there's this process of spiritual formation that starts to happen as they are continuing in a few things. And I just, again, here's the point. Jesus continues, even today, to form disciples after his image. He's committed to that in your and my life. That's such good news. It's good news to know that we have a rabbi. We don't just have his teachings. But we have his spirit. We have his church, which exists to produce the formation that Jesus sees for our lives And notice how it's happening here in this church. As these disciples, the 12, are making disciples, there are key practices that they are devoted to that are the the means through which formation is going to happen. There's things like prayer, the practice of prayer. There's the study of Scripture devoted to the Word of God. There's things like fellowship, which is a hard practice to perform in this day and age. Uh, but there's, the, there's all these different practices that they start to employ. Worship, singing. You know, we as a church, we have 10 core values. You can go on our website and you can read them. But uh, the way that we define these core values is we define them as prioritized practices. They're not just things that we're like, oh, these are really important things. No, these things are so important that we believe that they, they must be prioritized and actually practiced. Like, this is how we do these things. And this is what we see in the early church. We actually get them right here from Acts 2. Um, and there's a principle that we're, we're living under here. It's this idea that uh, without practice, there is no formation. W- without practice, there is no formation in anything, like in anything. Um, you can spend all day long watching YouTube videos for how to play the guitar like Ben, okay? I've been doing it for the past two months, you know, I just want to learn. No, but like, at the end of the day, unless you practice what you're learning, unless you put your hand to the plow, unless you make the effort, there is no formation, there's just knowledge. Practice. Now, here's the call of Scripture. I want you to see this. Now, this is why this is so important. Um, There's a principle here. Jesus is committed to our formation, but we're still called to follow. 
We're, we're the ones that do the stepping and the following. And Romans 12.2 calls us to this. Romans 12.2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. Here's what Paul says in Romans, Romans 12. He says, formation is inevitable. Formation is not optional. It's not like, oh, I think I'm going to practice some spiritual formation. Every moment of every day, each of us are being formed into something, into someone. The question is, are you being conformed to a worldly pattern, a worldly way of thinking, or are you being transformed by the renewal of your mind? The idea there is, is what 2 Corinthians describes, this transformation of the spirit where we are becoming the very image that we are beholding as the spirit makes us more like Jesus it's a work of grace, a work of the Spirit. Conformed or transformed. Formation is inevitable. The question is, what are you following? I mean, when I was a 13-year-old skateboarder, I, would not have, I, I, didn't, I didn't think of the culture I was in as one of formation and discipleship, but I was a disciple of all these skaters I idolized. I tried to dress like them. I listened to the music that the skate videos gave me, and I became cultured and very, you know, pretentious in my music choice. Um, and I even tried to do the tricks like them. That, that's the idea. I was with them. I learned from them. I wanted to become like them. Here's the question I want you to ask. Are you a follower of Jesus? Really? Are you committed to, and here's the question, are you committed to certain practices in your relationship with him that is producing his formation in your life? It's one thing to say, yeah, I'm a Christ follower. It's a whole other thing to actually be a Christ follower. It's a whole other thing to follow Jesus. Like, I want to say something, okay? Facebook will form you. The news has and will form you. The environment that you spend all the time that you're in, the, the, the practices, like whatever your hobbies are, it's, it's not necessarily avoid, it doesn't mean like, you know, become a hermit and don't watch the news ever and don't ever play video games or any of your hobbies. But the idea is looking at the totality of your life, here's the question to ask, who are you becoming? What's happening in your mind? Who are you becoming? Jesus continues to form disciples. And that's, man, it's been hard in this season that we're in, certainly as a church, to partake in these practices. We're doing everything we can to be devoted to the apostles' doctrine and pray. Um, the idea is we got to do this at all costs. Even though we can't gather together physically, Jesus is continuing to form us. And I want to say this, as I take a little extra time on this point, I just want to say, I think we have an opportunity now that a unique opportunity, maybe to be formed in a way like any other. One of the main, we see this in Scripture, one of the most consistent ways that God forms people and develops their character is through things like trial, things like loss. I, I've been thinking a lot about this. Like, Lord, I don't want to waste what you're trying to do here in my life through what I'm going through. One of the most consistent ways that Jesus forms disciples, we actually end up seeing it here in the church, as they continue on in their mission. We see them walk through hardship, and that's the, their message becomes, I can rejoice in my trial because of what God's producing through it, how God's forming me through it. How is God forming you? What is he seeking to form in you and through you as you walk through what you're walking through? Maybe it's faith. Like he's, he's seeking to form you to be a, great, a person of greater faith in the faithfulness of God. 
And so everything around you has the things that you, you had come to, to hope in, the comfortable things that, that gave you security are now gone. And now f- there's an opportunity for faith to be produced in a new way. Maybe everything's been great for you. <laughs> You're like, how am I being formed? Well, here's a question. Everything's gone great for you, but how are you being formed into a more compassionate person, into a more generous person? Have you, in, in your, your time under this quarantine where everything has gone well, maybe better for you, have you been mindful and thoughtful for those who it hasn't gone well for? Have you called them? Have you reached out to them? Have you seen your blessings as an opportunity to be a blessing? How are you being formed? Jesus continues to form. The, the sequel, the story continues. He continues to find, he continues to form, and then we close with this. Jesus continues to fill. 3,000 people added to the church, 3,000 found lives. These 3,000 make up the early church, and they are devoted to some practices. They're experiencing spiritual formation as they are following Jesus together. And the last thing that we see there is that just like the disciples, we see after those 3,000, it says many more were added to the church. That's what goes on to happen. So um, the disciples were living in a unique time, okay? They were living in this transitionary period between an old and new covenant. So there's some things here that are descriptive and not prescriptive. Descriptive means it's just telling you what's happening. That's actually a great rule of thumb when you're studying the Bible. Like know what's descriptive and know what's prescriptive. There's some things that are like you need to do this. And there's other things that are just like this guy did this. Okay, like Jeremiah and Ezekiel did some things, and there's descriptive accounts of that, very descriptive, okay? But they're not always prescriptive, and, and there's a sense in which, even in this account, the disciples waiting for the Spirit is not prescriptive. Like, we're not supposed to go to Jerusalem and sit there and wait for this. No, here, it's, it's descriptive. It's describing a transition that's happened. What we get to be a part of now is the available outpouring of the Spirit. We don't have to go to Jerusalem and wait. Isn't that awesome? If you belong to God, here's what Paul says to you and me. He says, do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. That's prescriptive, literally. He's like, he's like don't to get rid of your other prescription. The, the wine, that's not a good prescription. He's like, you're getting too drunk off that prescription. Here's the prescription. He says, be, we're commanded, be filled with the Spirit. And the reason why Paul is able to say this is because Jesus continues to fill. This is the theme of, of the Gospels. Jesus teaching his disciples, at one point filling them, giving them power to go out and preach the Gospel and heal sicknesses. And then we see it there in Acts chapter 2. We see Jesus filling the disciples with his Holy Spirit, and that filling empowers them to be bold. And then we see Paul saying, you too, Be filled with the Spirit. It's a theme that we see all throughout the book of Acts. We see the disciples getting to points in their life where where they're empty. Where trial has like beat the filling out of them almost. Which is hard to imagine. But they're exhausted. Though it may seem like a setback to be empty... We see in Acts that usually it's a setup to be filled. 
And so there's this great account in Acts chapter 4, right after this, of Peter. They get going. Next thing you know, the church is growing so fast that they go to jail because they're so effective. They're frustrating. They're ruffling religious feathers. And they go to jail. They, they, they finally get out of jail. And they're at kind of a discouraged moment. So what, what do they begin to do? They begin to pray. And it tells us that as they're praying, in, verse, in Acts 4.31, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. It says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Two truths here. Number one, the watching world is in desperate need of our boldness. Boldness not just in speech, but in even how we live, in the way that we neighbor, in the way that we serve, in the way that we navigate what everyone else is walking through. The church is in need of bold, or the world is in need of a bold church, of bold Christians who unashamedly walk and live and proclaim the way of Jesus, who know the way, who show the way, and who even go the way of Jesus. Church is in need of that bold example. The world is in need of that bold example. So is the church. It's impossible without the Spirit. You see, as we even see there in Acts, it's the filling of the Spirit. It's the empowerment of the Spirit that makes that boldness possible. Listen, the Holy Spirit is not an enhancement to the Christian life. He is the very substance of it. He makes up what it means to be Christian. To be Christian is to be Spirit-filled. And Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. So do you feel empty today? Have you lost your passion to reach those who are lost? Have you lost your concern for the poor? Have you lost your, your concern for and, and your care for those in need around you? Have you lost your passion for Jesus? Are you running on empty? Just become available. Open up your heart. Say, Lord, fill me. Here I am. Fill me. And he'll do that. Jesus said, if... if even an earthly father will give what his son asks them and won't cheat them and fool them and ridicule them. How much more will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Ask him for his spirit. You and I need his Holy Spirit, especially in times like this, to navigate what we're not doing and do so in a bold way. Jesus, the sequel, through the church, by the spirit, he continues to find, he continues to form, he continues to, to fill. The story continues, and the best part about it is we get to be a part of it. Whether we're extras or a supporting cast, I don't know. We'll ask God when we get to heaven. But nonetheless, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and we get to be his body. Let's praise him for that. Thanks again for tuning in. We pray that you were blessed by today's message. If you'd like to visit us in person, we gather at Don Estridge High Tech Middle School in Boca Raton, Florida, every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. For more sermon content and information, you can check out solaschurch.com.